My name is Liam Bird, and this is the Punks in Pubs podcast, and we are back. Back, baby. Back. Uh, we took a month off during February, but we're going back to our usual bi-weekly schedule moving forward, so don't worry, we won't be away from you for much longer. So where did I go in February? Well, I took a trip over to America and hung out in DC. If you follow the podcast Instagram account, you would have seen my little escapades in DC, as well as I visited Philadelphia. And whenever I travel, I try and take my microphone and recorder with me. And while I was there, I did manage to uh, grab a couple of interviews. So that'll be coming up later in the year. So make sure you stick around for that. The man who is my guest for episode 32 also happens to hail from the same state as Philadelphia. It's almost like I planned it. This state is Pennsylvania for you non-geography buffs. His name is Tom May. He is the singer and guitarist of the Menzingers. And he has been on every single fucking podcast in the world. So I thought it was about time he was on mine. So... Here we are, episode 32, me and Tom. This interview took place in August last year at the Rebellion Festival. Uh, Tickets, by the way, are available for this year's Rebellion Festival. Go to rebellionfestival.com. Let me start off by saying this was not a deep dive into the history of the Menzingers. If that's something you're looking for, then go and check out the other fucking thousand podcasts that Tom has been on. This is very much in the words of the great podcasting lord that is Adam Buxton, a rambly chat. It's just two guys with a beer talking shit. So what did we talk about? Well, we obviously talk about conspiracy theories because Tom is a massive conspiracy theory fan and we play the game of real or bullshit. I also pitched the idea of Tom and Tom DeLong's conspiracy TV show, which I'm pretty sure like TMZ or some of that shit is already uh, writing down and, and contacting Tom DeLong to try and do a documentary about some of the weird shit that he talks about. Uh, we also talk about moshing etiquette growing up in Scranton because I've never heard of the town before. I figure out it's actually quite fucking big, but it's not big in the conspir- uh, in the uh, grand scheme of New York and Philadelphia. And I was interested in how that kind of acts for a band that are trying to get a bigger audience when you've got massive cities kind of drawing your audience away. Uh, we also talk about countries that are still, quote, punk. And Tom also talks about other countries that he still wants to hit up, even though he would make a massive loss. Uh, you will also discover Tom's secret rap history. Actually, I don't know if it's that secret. Unfortunately, he does not spit any bars. As always, your band plays out the show. And this week, we're in France, in their capital city, Paris. This band is called Cheap Teen. And you will 100% want to stick around for that. But before that, there's this. People, we've been away, but now we're back. And I give you episode 32 with my chat with Tom May. I will talk to you in a bit. We are backstage at Rebellion. Uh, we're in a nice little bar area, so we're still carrying on the theme of punks and pubs. And in front of me is the lead singer of uh, the Menzingers, Tom May. How are you? I'm good, man. How are you? Fantastic. Good. So I feel like we should start by kind of stealing from another podcast. Okay. Because recently, about that. So you were on a Guilty Pleasure podcast recently. Yeah. Where about you spoke about like your conspiracy theory love and UFOs and stuff like that. Yeah, the premise of the podcast was uh, people come on and talk about you know their guilty pleasure. Uh, go figure. Yeah. And mine just happens to be a deep fascination with uh, conspiracy culture and all those message boards and stuff. Because is that the first time you spoke quite openly about your love of like conspiracy theories and UFOs? Because when I put out a post about oh I'm going to go talk to Tom, any questions? I got a couple about aliens and UFOs and. Yeah, so yeah, man, that makes sense. So is that the first time you've openly spoke about your love for it? No, no, I've been pretty open about it in the past. I've probably tweeted some stuff, posted some stuff on different social media um, outlets. Yeah, no, definitely definitely been into it for a very long time, but never really sat down and talked with anybody in depth about it. I thought we'd play a quick game before we sure. start. So it's called uh, Real or Bullshit. <clears throat> okay. I'm going to say a conspiracy theory, and you tell me if it's real. 
or bullshit. Okay. Okay, so uh, Hollow Moon. Uh, could be real, possibly. I'll give it that. There's a seismic test done by NASA that had a really strange results, and that's um, the only factual thing that I've seen off of it. Yeah. Uh, the rest are kind of just anecdotal and, and like bizarre conjecture. Uh, there is a, a Star Trek episode that has a planet that they land on that the entire inside is hollow, and that is a completely isolated microcosmic society on its own, and the whole thing is run by people. It's supposed to be like an allegory for like a... Uh, a dictatorship in a country or like one of those socialist countries back in the day and in reality it kind of gets spun into a well a what if you know yeah, yeah, who yeah. fucking knows yeah because yeah. the moon's always something that comes up isn't it like as a conspiracy sure. why, why do you think the moon is always is it because it's the closest thing to us and we can physically see it I think that it's probably ingrained in our consciousness like through our DNA or whatever over years and years and years and years of people looking up and seeing the moon I mean yeah. it's closely tied to every origin story religion of uh, the, throughout the written and non-written world of, of humanity and it's just such a crazy, beautiful, fascinating thing. There's a couple of things that are, are wild about it. It doesn't have its own orbit. Uh, so it, the same side is always facing Earth as it spins around, which is yeah. a little bit bizarre for a planet. I think there's one of Saturn's moons that does that as well. So the whole thing is you can't see what's on the dark side of the moon because there's no sunlight on it at all. So it's like the ultimate mystery. Uh, since Clementine has mapped it, and there's people who say that the Clementine... Um, uh, mission has, you know, doctored the photos to hide some of the bizarre things they found on the other side of the moon. Who knows about that? But it also, the way that it fits perfectly to block out the sun, and that happens at irregular intervals throughout yeah. the, uh, uh, you know, timeline of Earth, is just such a weird, bizarre coincidence that seems like it has to have some kind of um, significance as far as, like, who we are and where we came from. Yeah. Flavor of the month, flat Earth. Oh, no way. I don't... Yeah, you can disprove flat earth. There's two... I don't fully understand them very well, but there's one uh, Italian uh, astronomer and scientist uh, that used a suspended large piece of uh, spherical mass that can show the way that it spins, that the earth is spinning and is indeed round. Also, just, I mean, remember from calculus in college, you just kind of calculating the area of infinite columns underneath a curve and it just kind of makes sense with the way that the sun mounts off it and the things you see in the horizon and shit like I don't believe in it well I mean my, my friend's a, a physics teacher and uh, I was at a wedding and he, we were talking about how, how work's going and he just said like flat earth is just ruining everything yeah. he, he just said this kid put their hand and went I don't believe that the earth is round he's like okay I'll give you a chance yeah. so he's like what's your theory and she said well if you get a tray and you pour water on it, the water stays in the tray. If you get a tennis ball and you pour water on top of the tennis ball, the water falls off. And he's like, are you a fucking moron? It literally, Gravity, the earth yeah, is pulling exactly. It down it. So it's, it's weird how that kind of shit's yeah. catching on. My favorite part about that conspiracy is that if you walk to somebody in a pub, let's say, we're in this bar right here, and you or I were challenged with proving the fact that the earth is round, neither of us could definitively do it. <laughs> You're always just counting on the uh, existence of the institutions and the media around you to say that that's true. Yeah. So I think that it could be a side effect of, uh, you know, finding out we've been lied to about so many other things in life. And, and I don't know. It's definitely a really funny one because if it was flat, and that would mean that the people in the all of everything would be such a lie, you know, in such a, a, a wide ranging array. Yeah, it's just goofy as fuck, man. <laughs> My favorite one: ice bucking challenge was a sat- satanic ritual. Oh, that's tight. Uh, <laughs> I hope that one's real. That one I don't believe is real, but I, that would be fucking awesome. So the idea behind that was that everyone was cleansing their souls, okay, before the uh, the wrath was coming mm, alright I mean I can see the fact that you are d- shocking yourselves and cleaning yourself as part of like a altruistic notion to try to help people that are uh, worse off than you so I guess that makes sense at some kind of like level to make that argument yeah. Men in Black I oh, love the movies first of all but uh, no the Men in Black there's a great surveillance footage of these two weird looking guys walking into a hotel in Virginia and that's pretty cool but I don't uh, necessarily believe in the Men in Black I think that there are it may not be centralized, uh, but there is you know, definitely people that are pseudo-government um, members of the military-industrial complex that would handle certain things. And, but I don't know if they would manifest themselves as guys in suits and yeah. come and erase your memory. I think that might be more of like a weird you know, connection to some of the more spiritual cult things throughout time. You know, like the weird like beings that pe- visit people in visitations and shit like that. Yeah. It could be like misfire in your brain shot a bunch of DMT in or something and the next thing you know you see two guys in suits because that's what the authoritative figures wear now <laughs> yeah. yeah well a, there was a fantastic free part on the um, last podcast on the left do you listen to that no I haven't everybody keeps telling oh, me I man, need to that so I really good. should so they did a free part on Men in Black nice and uh, yeah it's definitely worth catching out and same with a music podcast Courtney Kilkert 
Uh, I don't know. I don't really know much about it. It's certainly plausible hmm. uh, from what uh, just judging by the people I know that think that. And I've definitely read some really extensive you know, message board posts about it, but I really, I really don't know. What's your favorite conspiracy theory that you know is bullshit, but you, you like the idea of it? Oh, man, there's so many. Uh, man, because when he first started saying that, I immediately reverted to the ones I thought were real. But the ones that my favorite <laughs> one that is bullshit... Oh, man, there's just so many. A lot of the ones that have to do with food additives and population control are pretty great. Yeah. Uh, like yellow number five in Mountain Dew reduces the sperm count of men, so they fill it up in areas that they don't want, uh, you know, like uh, minority neighborhoods or like West Virginia and shit like that where they don't want uh, people to reproduce. <laughs> Those are pretty great. Well, I mean, so. what flavor is Mountain Dew? That, I mean, you, there's, there's a... Ambiguously citrus. Is it what it is? Yeah. Oh, okay. We've, we've got a drink over here called um, Vinto. And okay. no one knows what the fuck flavor that is. It's just, it's just Finto flavor. It's Makes weird. sense. Have you always been like an inquisitive person? Like when you were a child, was that something that you always did? Did you always question everything? Yeah, uh, definitely inquisitively. I didn't question everything, uh, like against everything. and got really cynical until I was a teenager. But before that, I was very much into uh, learning as much as I could about everything. Yeah. You know, to a fault, to where it became like obsessive. And then would drop it immediately and go to the next thing. Yeah. I, I mean, one of the questions that came on, Twitter about uh, conspiracy theories it was one asking if you're going to do if you're going to prove that UFOs exist with Tom DeLonge through punk rock I think that's an extremely ambitious goal <laughs> but history is so fucking weird like, who, know, who knows if it is Tom DeLonge the one that brings on uh, disclosure oh, you know that'd be so hilarious Yeah, it's like uh, well it the only thing that would make sense to prove that we're being visited by extraterrestrial or interdimensional beings or both or whatever would be some guy in a punk band that's saying about like pissing and shitting all the time do you speak a lot about it to other bands when you are touring because obviously you tour with loads of other bands do you ever like get really meaningful maybe have a smoke and like you just realize oh the day's gone and we've just smoked we just spoke about just the weirdest shit oh yeah i think one of the things about uh being in a touring band together is that you're in such a unique situation and experience that a lot of the inhibitions and not niceties because the niceties are there but the inhibitions kind of just go away really quickly yeah so you're like okay we're going to be together for a month we're in this unique position we've done it a million times we should probably get as close as we can as quickly as we can so we can you know get to uh, a real connection quickly and that definitely happens all the time get yeah. real drunk and hang out and talk about life and shit oh yeah oh yeah everything is terrible Hometown. I know very little about it apart from that your ex vice president's from there. Uh, Trump loves it because of coal mining. Uh, and the office, I think, was based there. That is it. Yeah, well, Trump what? doesn't love it because of coal mine. The coal mines dried up in the 1950s. Okay. Uh, well, it kind of dried up before that, but the last one, after the Knox mine disaster where a bunch of people were killed, they kind of stopped mining the anthracite coal in that region of Pennsylvania, northeast. Um, yeah, we lived there. We moved out of there about ten years ago. Uh, it's changed a lot since we got be- since we've you know gone, but it's still still definitely the same place. <laughs> it was because you guys left. They were like, yeah. "Let's tidy this shit yeah, up." No. <laughs> it, the office does take place there, and I didn't at first. I didn't watch the office because uh, I was just like you know being a baby about it. Every time I went somewhere else, someone asked me about the office because I was from Scranton. So I'd be like, "Yeah, show's probably not funny," and then watch it and realize it's one of the funniest, best shows I've ever seen. In my life, yeah, it was a beautiful place to grow up. It was it's uh, very similar to the North here, I would say. Yeah, it's got a vibe. It's very similar to Leeds. 
in Manchester, kind of like industrial, industrial, yeah. yeah. Got its history. So, what was it like for music then? Because Scranton is in um, Pennsylvania, and obviously the big city, of Pennsylvania, is Philly. Yeah, so Pennsylvania is very rectangular shaped. Uh, in the southeast is Philadelphia, in the southwest is Pittsburgh, and the northwest is Erie, Pennsylvania, which is like a port to the Great Lakes. So a lot of raw materials came in there, and then they sent them down to Pittsburgh to be turned into steel. And in the northeast part was mountainous, and that's where Scranton is the county seat, basically in the northeast Pennsylvania. Yep. And uh, yeah, the metropolitan area is about 500,000, 600,000 people uh, between Scranton and Wilkesbury. The city itself is about 80,000 people. It's a. Uh, yeah, it's very. It's it, it was very broken up into neighborhoods, and it's also very broken up by origin of the immigrants from Europe. So okay. it's super uh, Irish, Italian, and then lots of Eastern European. And we grew up with the music. We just kind of uh, you know it was we had rock and classic rock was a very big thing there, and we went to Irish music festivals, and that was kind of a big part of it. Church music and shit like that. So that was the big exposures to live music. And I mean, it's also a big market for bigger bands to come. There was a Warp Tour that came through. Yeah. Uh, and there's an arena there that, you know, bigger bands would come through all the time, like the pop bands in the 90s. So that's kind of our first exposure to it. But there's a lot of, you know, places that you can have shows there that aren't conventional. So it's cheap. So the overhead cost to have, like, an underground music scene was really easy to do. There's a lot of space to practice. There's a lot of uh, cool people. There's some great music shops. So kind of, I think started to flourish after a lot of the indie bands and uh, street punk bands before our time and then you have us and Captain Sinking and Tiger's Jaw and Title Fight and a bunch of like Cold World and all those bands kind of just came up in that yeah so. so is it weird that those bands actually came up from this small like area of, of America is yeah that, I think it's it? weird and then I can't really think of any other good examples of it you know usually there'd be at least a suburb of a major city whereas uh, Scranton is two two hours and change away from Philly and two yeah. hours away from New York and there's not really any you never go you'd go there to see like a show if you really wanted to see the, the band um, but otherwise you just wait for them to come through so I guess it is kind of unique yeah I don't know if it was a combination of you just didn't really have like the future that you look forward to and the future that you knew was not necessarily some kind of job that you didn't want, but it was definitely not, like, uh, you know, hip. Your parents worked in a... Uh, they manufactured things, so they yeah. worked in a hospital. It wasn't like... Uh, that. So I think we kind of just ruminated on those and reflected and, and came out of that. Yeah, I got no real reason for it. I guess if you did, you'd be able to do it anywhere, but... So what about music? Who was the person who actually introduced you to music? Was it family? Was it friends? Probably family. My parents had a CD player... My dad actually worked for one of the the, the major uh, vinyl and then CD manufacturers in the United States was actually in Scranton. So, like you know, thousands of people worked at this place called uh, Wea Manufacturing, and they made all the CDs. So the employees would get an allotment of CDs every month. So my dad would just like grab whatever shit that him and my mom liked us to. I remember just putting the CDs into the CD player and listening to them and. Certain stuff just really got you going. And then my aunt, uh, she played piano and sang, and my uncle, he sang as well. So at family gatherings, they would... And my grandfather played the Irish whistle, so they would all get together every nice. Christmas and just kind of play songs. And yeah. that was definitely the first introduction to it. So what about punk music? What was your first introduction to punk music? Was it was it from that kind of bargain bin of CDs and you found something? Or? Actually, it was a, a per, somebody personally introduced me to it. I definitely was into anything that was angry on the radio that I can get. So you had... Uh, time for me, I just missed kind of Green Day. It was really popular. No, they were still popular. And Corn uh, and Limp Biscuit and that kind of new metal stuff started yeah. getting popular. But I got a job as a dishwasher at a place called The Melting Pot when I was 14. And one of the older waitresses, um, who was probably only like 18, gave me two cassette tapes. One of them was Public Image Limited, who's uh, playing Blackpool this weekend, funny yeah. enough, which I hated. I thought it was fucking stupid as hell. It took me 10 years to revisit it, and I was like, oh, I was just 14. That's why I didn't like it. And uh, Fresh Fruit for Rotting Vegetables by Dead Kennedys. And that yep. one I played over and over and over again. And that was cool. So what was it about that sound that you really enjoyed? Was it just like the, holy shit, this is, this is noise. Like this is just yeah. so much energy. It was exciting. It was, yeah, yeah. You know, you're growing and you have all that energy and you just want to, you're starting to see thing, that, that things don't have to be the way they are. So I started reverting against a lot of the stuff going on at home and going on in uh, school. And just that, that loud, angry music was just so attractive because it was like, it's like a drug. You know, everybody yeah. says that and beats that metaphor into the ground, but it's totally true. You listen to it and you just changed. You know, you could do anything. And can you remember your first show and going in your first pit? Can you, can you remember I could, they were two different times. Right. I, I remember seeing in the movie SLC Punk and thinking that every show was going to be like that. And I went to see uh, a band called Wonder Dog, which was some emo guys that were, I think, way ahead of their time in Scranton. And they broke off into a band called... Um, 
the Swims, and now Needlepoints, and a couple other, couple really other awesome bands. But yeah, I went to that show thinking it was going to be a giant mosh pit, but it was in a warehouse in Wilkesbury called Home Base, and it was just fifteen older people, college kids, standing around listening to emo. And I was like, oh, okay, well that's that. And then, then there was a place in Scranton called Cafe del Sol, which is this little coffee shop on the University of Scranton's campus that had punk shows and everybody there wore leather jackets and we would discover bands because they were painted on the back of the leather jackets <laughs> yeah. and you'd go into the record store after you wrote it down secretly and that was the first place that I was in a mosh pit with much much older people and it was uh, it was awesome did you find it intimidating though because I speak about this a lot that I find the first time you go and like you're kind of like ooh I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go. Oh, and then yeah, you kind of sure. bottle it and then you're like fuck it I'm right totally. and then, then you get smashed around but like you said by guys who usually Big, yeah, they're big fucking guy. guys. Yeah. They're still big fucking guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> People smashing the shit out Absolutely. of Absolutely, that's why but they do it. But there is that kind of decor where I say at the end of every single podcast, if you go into a punk show, you see someone fall down, you pick them back up. And there is that kind of community vibe. Yeah, so it's like it. uh, people listen to emo music and sad songs to feel um, good and not alone in that sadness. I think in the mosh pit is a cathartic violence in a way, you know? It's yeah. like... Uh, you know you're not going to go too far, uh, for the most part. And I mean, but there's some hardcore shows and shit where it's clearly just too far. And there's people who are dickheads and take it out on uh, people who clearly don't want to be involved. You know, yeah. like smash into them. And there's fights. We still have fights at our shows and shit like that. Um, but I think yeah, it's totally. Everybody's so high strung in the society around us, and it's so competitive and bizarre. You know, we have plenty of things to keep us at bay, but it's definitely life's not easy hmm. and I think that you can go to a punk show and, and you get that out and you like charge and recharge and it can it can feel really good for people as the band the men's singers got bigger are you disappointed now with barriers did you enjoy it where there was no barriers people can jump on stage and jump in the crowd or do you now prefer the barriers like fuck off yeah no it's a case by case basis I'd, it'd be more based off of the safety of the people in the crowd than off like whether or not I want somebody near me although actually I take that back a lot of times it wants me to get the fuck away I'm dumping beer on my pedals and shit it's like come on but uh yeah the barrier is cool because people can be caught if they're gonna crowd surf and it's like a little bit safer for security guards to keep an eye on fights and yeah give people water and shit like that so Bob and the Saggots talk to me about them oh man it was our high school ska band yeah was, uh, yeah one guy's name is uh, Curtis Irie it was me Joe uh, Eric and Curtis that played in Bob and the Saggots I found some I found some like stuff on YouTube <laughs> had a listen kind of nice. got like a big D vibe from sure. it yeah they were they were a huge influence of so us so who, who's the one who's kind of doing the rapping Cause it's that like was a, me that's you actually we both did but I yeah. normally did uh, uh, lots of the quick lyrics and our first I was really into hip-hop throughout the time, and I hung out with some kids that were, uh, like, hip-hop kids. And at the time, we were really excited to just merge all kinds of music everywhere, no matter what it was. And it was, like, right, you know, all that shit. But besides that, uh, even our early Menzinger stuff, I do rap. I was about to say of. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And I kind of maybe bring a little bit of it back, not necessarily, like, the uh, hip-hop alliteration, but a little bit of the quicker lyrics to feel more comfortable with, like, uh, some of the rhyming and the, you know alliteration and different speech things are kind of they're just attractive it's like rhythmic like how that. do you think you'll do though if you put in a rap battle are you quick on your like your feet for yeah, thinking yeah, of for rhymes sure. I used to do that shit all the time that was just from practice yeah so that back when we did Bob in the Saggots we would play we were also uh, should preface this by saying that we were never not really high I was stoned the entire time uh probably threw off my hormones for the rest of my life in late adolescence for being just fucking so stoned but we uh, would get up and play seven or eight minute long reggae jam things and we would just freestyle over on top of it just, you know four white guys from Scranton at a punk show yeah was, uh, yeah, we did that all the time do, do you miss the scar? Because I feel like it's something that people kind of grow out of as a band like they'll kick the horns and like no we're done with that now oh, like, yeah. is a part of you like I want to do a ska band. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so stigmatized. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the flatliners are the, the obvious one who kind yeah, of were ska, yeah. and then and kind of and they they had a whole bring back the horn yeah. uh, thing going on. Yeah, yeah. I got a fantasy to do a specials cover band. Uh, our friends put together a cover show every Christmas, and everybody yeah. kind of does it. Joe and Greg go together with a bunch of our friends to do a saves a day band every year. And there's like uh, somebody did Tony Hawk Pro Skater last year and only played songs from Tony Hawk Pro Skater, <laughs> which is fucking awesome. Well, uh, that, that game has like turned so many people onto punk rock. Oh my and, god, like, yeah. Like for me, Superman. I never heard Superman until I played that game, and I'm like, who the fuck a Goldfinger? And then right? I just fell in love with Goldfinger from there on. It was like the best timing. So what what age did you get into get into music and start playing? And how the, the question you're always going to get asked: How did you meet the rest of the guys? In Menzingers. Sure. Uh, I started playing music. I took violin class in sixth grade. 
fifth grade maybe in uh, the Scranton School District. So I was probably 10 or 11 and did that, you know, without putting too much. Well, actually, I was pretty good at it for a couple of years, and then when I went to high school, I stopped playing. Um, but, yeah, that was my first introduction into playing an instrument, besides the piano that was at my grandparents' house that I would play. Uh, and just kind of, like, bang on and try to figure out little melodies and shit like that. Do you still play piano? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. no, very seriously. I can't, like, sight read while playing or anything like that, but I can read music and, you know, figure it out. And mm-hmm. I played piano in the background on a lot of our tracks uh, on our records. It's a piano or organ. Yeah, so I met the guys. I met... So I met Joe. Joe's grand... Uh, Joe's great aunt was best friends with my grandmother. So we would see each other once every, like, six months when we were younger, growing up, kind of just, like, interact there. And then his younger brother, Tony, is one of my best friends in the entire world. He went to the same middle school as me, and then I met Joe through that or whatever. And then Joe played in a ska band called Fast Orange, and I was, was like, I need to play in a band with that guy. Uh, and the way he met Eric, I could well, rap over his horns. I could rap over that <laughs> shit. I can't wait. Wait till my voice drops. It's going to be awesome. Uh, <laughs> I would love to just, to just imagine that you're rapping... And you've still got that high pitch, and all of a sudden, boom! It just right in the middle of the set. Just right in the middle, yeah. Just crowd goes crazy. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That's probably <laughs> probably not too far off if I would have. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so then we met Eric. He played in another band called Cherry Hodes, which is a uh, yeah. a knock on Harry Chodes. But uh, yeah, he played. It was like a pop punk band, and we had a bass player who wasn't very good. Bless his soul. He was a nice kid. His name is Corey. Uh, he's a good, good guy, but he Corey's wasn't not crying, good. But Corey's, yeah. <laughs> he was Corey's like, in Scranton. Corey's, uh, yeah, he couldn't play, so we just sniped Eric. We kind of were like, we went to a trip to, went to the mall or something, and we were kind of just like, yeah, can you, you want to play in our band? And he was like, yeah. So that was that. Was that. And we met Greg because he played in a band with my brother, and then okay. we snu- stole him from that band as well. We were like, and we does now, that guy. did your brother now resent that you stole his bandmate? No, my brother's a chemical engineer now, and I think he set those those days behind him. Winning. But at yeah. first, he might have resent a little bit. Yeah. So, at what point did you know that the, the Menzingers were literally that's that's it now? Because I think you get to a certain point as a band where basically, like, I, I don't need to think about work. I don't. I don't really need to worry about. I don't need to go and uh, work in a shop. Or yeah. I, I, like, what point was that? Are oh, you were still waiting? <laughs> uh, no, no, we're yeah. We yeah. haven't had another job, another regular job. We've all done our various side hustles and mm-hmm. things like that here and there. Uh, back in the day, but we haven't had to have had to have a job since 2012. Uh, so a long time. We did that by living together and by sharing a lot of costs and just by keeping the communication open that we this is what we were going to do. We we're yeah. like, all right, everybody's on board. Nobody's going to fuck off and, and screw it up uh, for anyone else. So this is just what we we all collectively want it so bad. That we're just going to get it. As a band, it seems to be that from from for me personally, like Chamberlain Waits was the album that introduced me to the Menzingers, and. It's still on my playlist now. I still, it's like, if I ever make That's a playlist, awesome. I love that album, man. It's just yeah. a fucking good album. But from then, it seems to be every single album you've put out, you've got bigger crowds and you've got more momentum. Like, do you think that's a fair statement? And have you noticed that as a band? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a great fair statement. Our, uh, we always had this running joke that on an XY plane, ours is like, you know, the equation's one to one. It's just like a perfect, no, no, no dipping, no variance. Uh, and was a blessing in disguise because a lot of our friends and bands that we've seen that got rapid popularity at once, yeah. uh, it was difficult for them to manage, and it led to their uh, inability to stay together. If somebody gave me as, as much money as I make in a, uh, now, if someone gave that to me when I was 22, I would be, like, dead. You know, because I would have been like, oh, wait, I could have a savings account? No, I could buy this much fucking Coke, dude, or whatever, you know, at that time. Um, <laughs> at that time. Mm. Yeah, at that time. Yeah, no longer. No longer need some uh, Central American kid's family to die so I can drink more beers. You know, that's not, <laughs> a, not, the, not the drug of choice. It's what Trump would have wanted. Uh. <laughs> anymore 
write, write separately mm-hmm. and in like a Monty I always think whenever someone talks about they write separately and come together I always think of Monty Python because that's what they did they went off in little groups and come together how and that eventually ended up killing that comedy group so how do you guys keep your egos in check because obviously you're coming in with passion like you're coming in with something you spend time on you've written you brought it together and then all of a sudden one of you go nah that's shit yeah that's uh, the most absolute one of the most frustrating parts of being in a band but probably the most frustrating thing so you can tell I live a pretty good life I'm going to say this one of the most like soul crushing thing to deal with in life is that you uh, spend so much time and pour so much emotion and be so attached to something whether it's a, a verse or a chorus or a chord progression that you vis- have a vision for that you want to be built out into a song by everybody and to have it fizzle out and die yeah. uh, whether it's because one person doesn't like it or because it's not clicking or anything like that that's just extremely difficult and the way you manage that is you just stop and revisit it a couple days later you know, and go figure out what's wrong with it and redo it and if it sucks and it's not meant to be then it's a good thing that uh, everybody else put that in check because you don't want to put shit up you know? and you don't want to play anything that you don't like so if like yeah. somebody's doing something like well I really like this and you're like well I don't then you know do you put it in your back pocket, though, like for later on, just in case? Oh, of course. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. I usually, to be honest, I'm not, not, I haven't been up until recent years good at being organized with that creative stuff. So I didn't have, like, one notebook. I would, like, lose them and shit. Uh, or, like, one place that I would put all my favorite ideas. But we've gotten much better at that in the last couple of years. And it's, yeah. like, uh, yeah, a lot easier to revisit things, you know? So, uh, and they make their way out. There's so many things. There's songs on... Uh, after the party that and pieces that we had written for albums years before that that were just like kept kept sitting there kept sitting there kept sitting there and then and then came back to the surface is that because though it's bugging you like I know this is, I know this is good like why are you guys d- dismissing this I know it's good I'm going to make it good fuck you it's good it's hey, on the album now that's ex- you nailed it that's yeah. it that's it yeah so, or you sneak it in you know you're like, <laughs> and somebody's like wait was that that part from that other thing you're like nah it's different <laughs> it's on track now fuck off it's done yeah right uh, um, so uh on the Impossible Pass was the first album you put on Epitaph. Before that, did you have like Fat or any other labels sniffing around trying to try and get in contact? Um, yeah, we would run into mostly people who had other jobs at the labels. You know, they weren't like this or the A and R person that came out and was like, "Hey, we want to, you know, we want to sign you or whatever." Uh, we had a pretty easy trajectory when it came to that. We didn't have to like you know fight to make too many decisions. Um, yeah, there wasn't like there was no major label interest or anything like that. Yeah. But there was just some random um, indie labels that offered to put our stuff out. So, what's an epitaph Christmas party like? Never been to one. We've never fucking what made one. Fuck? So we get invited every year, and we hear that they're incredible and it's awesome. They do them at karaoke places. They do them at these places where are like weird private event halls in Los Angeles that you just yeah they they all look and sound incredible. But we have never been able to fly out for one because we've always had something going on at that time. Ah, so man. tough in December with so many family things. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, Damn, I wish I could answer that for you. Fuck. I've heard so many stories that are insane. So have I. I was hoping for one. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> ruined it. <laughs> so, I mean, Menzingers for me are up there with Frank Turner with just touring. I interviewed Frank on the podcast and I asked him if he's actually addicted. Like, is it an actual addiction where you love it so much that you need to kind of have a, like, a calm down and just chill out? And he was like, actually, we are going to relax a little bit more. What about you? Because you're always on the road. You're always touring. I mean, this is what? Third time in the UK? This year? This year? Uh, or Europe? Maybe. And it's definitely the second. Uh, I don't know if it's the third. I have, my, sorry, my brain's not, not functioning for yeah. this year, right? The second. But yeah, we, uh, we toured so much. Hmm. Uh, I have to say, first, I have respect. We just did a tour with Frank Turner. And looking at their day sheet that they post. So every, every day on a tour, they post up this thing called day sheet. And it has... Uh, the address, some things that are near there, and then the schedule run for the day. And Frank Turner always had, like, five fucking interviews and a meet-and-greet or acoustic show before the show. And I've never seen... We've never toured with anybody who works as hard as he does. He's so generous extremely his inspiring. time. So generous yeah. And it's not like he's just, like, too busy to hang out either. He'd come and hang out. Yeah. You know, or have a beer or whatever. Like, he's... Uh, the dude is extremely inspiring to see that a human being is capable of doing that. It makes me think that, you know, maybe something inside of us is capable of doing that as well. Uh, probably not tour as much. That guy's played so many shows. Yeah, we've, uh, but yeah, we, we tour a lot. <laughs> and as we get older, it's been more difficult. But since yeah. we're getting bigger, it's become easier. Like uh, here in the UK, we're on a, on a tour bus, so I can literally fuck off and go to sleep whenever I want to. There's like a yeah. little coffin in there that I could pull the, sh- the curtain back and, and kind of just disappear. Whereas in a van, it's a lot more difficult. It's a lot harder on your body and, and your mind. 
but yeah, being gone so long from home is, is tough and bizarre, to say the least. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, every time I dread to go on the tour, a couple days beforehand, I'll be like, fuck, 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 i got to change my routine, i got to change my routine, it's going to be stressful. You get there and it's awesome. <laughs> it's like uh, you realize why you like the tour in the first place. You get to see cool, interesting places like Blackpool here. <laughs> no one has ever in the world said come and see interesting places like Blackpool. I don't know. Interesting is uh, it doesn't have a good or bad connotation to it. I think you can kind of swing that. No, I, I mean it as a good thing. I love it here. Uh, quickly, say that. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you, you guys tour a lot, and I've noticed you, you do a lot of podcasts as well. So how much do you actually enjoy this kind of shit? Because it is a bit, like, I always try and remind people that musicians, this is their job. Yeah. Like, as much as people may go, oh, they're doing the best. They're enjoying the best thing they've ever done. Like, how can this be a job? But it still is a job. Sure. So you get asked sometimes some fucking stupid questions. Oh my god, yeah. What's your favorite stupid question you've been asked? Uh, is it that one? Where did you get <laughs> name for band Menzinger? That one probably. Yeah. Uh, Germans. Why did you name your band after a Bavarian family name? That kind of shit. Uh, I mean, that's not that annoying. It's like a completely legitimate question. Why would you not ask that? I think that the How's most. How's going? How's the tour going? Oh, what's the craziest thing that ever happened to you in your life? What is the linchpin of your existence? Yeah. The uh, no, the annoying ones are when someone asks you or is interviewing you. I would say, and they clearly just have no idea about the band, or you know, haven't listened, or like uh, don't have a any usable frame of reference. They kind yeah. of just take boilerplate questions and kind of throw them at you, and you kind of think, well, both of us are kind of just wasting our time here, are we not? You know? So. Have you ever just stopped an interview and gone, oh, dude. no, fuck yeah? Uh, there was one interview, a particular German one. That's a rag on the Germans. Uh, there's a guy. Oh, it's Toby Jeg is strolling by us with a liquor cage <laughs> full the noise. of uh, merchandise. He's the guy who owned Red Scare, or owns Red Scare Records. Who's yeah. uh, first guy who gave us a big shot. Uh, besides Greg from Go Kart, I love that man to death. Oh, Toby, he's the best. <laughs> You've already slagged off Germany, so let's try and boost the country. Yeah, punk rock is its own little small community. It's not. It's not a mega. It's not like rap. It's not like rock it's not even like prog rock I don't believe with sure, like the audience yeah. what country do you feel still has that punk rock essence where about everything still is quite DIY it has a really nice underground scene like is there certain countries that you go to and you yeah, go yeah totally I mean I just start with Germany Germany has uh, they have uh, it's a different kind of underground scene you know because it's colored by their perception of what rock and roll and punk rock is in the states and the UK so mm-hmm. they get their media you know from wherever they got their media and it's uh, English it's not their first language and all those things it's not there are massive hurdles in the way of being able to to fully participate and good on everybody for trying it's incredible uh, but they have such a like hippie political epic at a lot of the venues that you go to um, they are always so happy to see bands and so generous and um I'm so appreciative uh, to be at the festival that you're playing or at the yeah. show that you're at, and I love playing there. It's so awesome to play in Germany. And other countries would be, I mean, we haven't really played many non-Western countries. So when we went to Budapest recently, for example, there are people there that aren't fitting into the exact pigeonholed niche subculture of whatever type of punk that you want to see. So they're not yeah. like, they don't only listen to... Um, Lookout Records music, or they don't only listen to street punk or anything like that. They kind of are any type of like melodic, angry music. They'll just get really into, it. and it's like uh, very interesting to see people appreciate that and be, and be soaked about it. I've heard Australia is quite decent for a punk scene. Yeah, like, it's got a decent vibe. And yeah, totally. Australia does have a decent vibe. It's like uh, such Australia is such a fascinating place. You take it's it's like it's just fast. It's so big. Uh, so, so big, big, yet there's so small because mm. uh, there's only. If it, it's great if you get the chance and you're not doing anything right now and you're listening to this and you want to do it later. Look up a population density, like a, a topographical map of Australia, and see where the majority of the population lives. And you realize that I think there's 20 or 30 million people in Australia. I could be could be wrong on that, but they all live in on, on either coast, in yeah. extremes on either coast. And in, uh, you know, the major cities and the surrounding areas of the major cities. So it's kind of like, for a massive place, it has a feeling and a vibe that is so tight and, e- like, networkable or, like, uh, connected to each other. Because it's like, you know, just those things together. But it uh, definitely has a really awesome DIY scene and a lot of really cool bands have, have come out of there and, and made it into the States, into Western Europe and stuff. So what about countries that you would like to play in? Because... I, when I'm not doing this, I make radio documentaries. Oh, cool. And um, one I'm trying to get commissioned at the moment is punk in the Middle East. And in particular, I want, like, Lebanon nice. itself has a huge punk scene that's not touched. Yeah. And, like, would you be down for, like, is that something that excites you where, as the band get bigger and you get the opportunity to actually kind of go, 
Okay, fuck it. Kind of like what No Effects did their documentary or mockumentary, sure. whatever. Like, would you like to go and do those kind of areas, like Lebanon, not so much Syria right now, but Jordan? Like, is that yeah. interest you? Oh, totally, absolutely. We've talked about that. Um, every time that this is not nearly on that scale, but every time that we do a European tour, because we're already coming over, we try to get our booking agent to put a place that we're not going to make money from. You know, it's not going to be uh, the net. Uh, a part of the tour but it's some place that we get to go and see just because we play in a band like we yeah. get this opportunity to go check it out uh, the Middle East would be fascinating Lebanon in particular would be awesome my family's actually from Lebanon my oh, mom's, really? uh, yeah, my mom's maiden name is Abdallah uh, my great grandparents came over to the States uh, earlier in the 20th century and I've always been fascinated with Lebanon never been able to go back except after you know of course 1950s uh, 60s things changed yeah. <laughs> a whole lot well and I just then, got back six months ago oh, how was it it was nice man it nice. was chilled awesome. out uh, went right down to the Israeli border Very cool. uh, had to, but we had to get a visa from Hezbollah which is weird yeah it's bizarre huh? uh, but it's, 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 my girlfriend happens to be Lebanese so oh, she's no got shit. family over there so oh. we went over there and it's, it's yeah I love it it's such an amazing city country sorry that doesn't get because of it's between Syria, it's between Israel, and it's constantly absolutely political instability. So it's a shame. Yeah, my cousins just uh, some of the Abdallahs just went down. Uh, yeah. Two of them, I believe, went on school trips like through Israel and then Lebanon, and yeah. some other places. And, yeah, I would love to go there. It'd be awesome. I don't know anything about the music scene there or the punk scene. Just the food, mate. Just have the food. The food's good. Food's yeah, hell good. yeah. You get some tabula, uh, Nayat, yeah, all that shit. Be awesome. Oh, you want it? Um, so let's quickly talk about after the party, and I'll let you go. Uh, so sure. after the party. Everyone says that it's kind of like an album where basically you've kind of reflected. Because obviously you've got that, that song where basically you talk about being in your 30s, now, sorry, now you're in your 30s, 20s are gone, and just kind of reflecting on the past time and, and, and like now you need to get your shit together. Yeah. You've now been in your 30s for a little while. I'm 35 now, and I'll admit, when I was, in my 30, when I was going to my 30s, I was like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, my job was a bit in stability, and it's like, ooh. Like, how are you finding it now? Are you enjoying your 30s now? I, uh, I like my 30s more than any other time in my life. I can look back fondly upon the different points in the 20s, but it was such a clusterfuck, and it was so hard uh, for material reasons and for relationship reasons and family reasons. You know, anything you can fucking imagine sucked. Yeah. Uh, but it didn't suck. It was beautiful. But I found the 30s is, is so much better now, in part because of the wisdom that I think that I've gotten with time or that my friends have seen also kind of pick up with time. And also the fact that it coincides with the social acceptance of, uh, you know, leaving and going to bed early you know, while, while your body's starting to get to get hurt down. But yeah, I'm, I'm loving it, man. It's really like, it, it is scary in that it's unknown and that you're not sure where you should be, but it's really lovely in the fact that you can kind of just realize that where you are is totally fine, no matter where it is. You know, I think it's something that I've been chasing after forever and something that doesn't always work and you, know, you can't always believe that, but... Yeah, so far, 30s have been really awesome. I know that we're going to live a lot longer than the, well, hopefully, than the people uh, came right before us. Yeah, knock on wood. And it seems like if we're growing up later and getting married later, statistically, as we are in the United States and uh, in the UK, then the 30s is kind of like a, a, a landing strip for the 20s. You kind of get a grace period into those things that used to be so rigid and serious yeah. so yeah I'm, uh, I mean I'm enjoying it it's pretty great no, 32 good, now I just turned 32 last week oh happy birthday and, last uh, week hey thank you and it's uh, yeah I fucking love it it's great oh good so toy soldier soldiers like you dropped it and then you did nothing <laughs> like are you just like cock teasing and are you gonna play an album what's going on so we've uh, realized that the way that people put out music is changing a lot you know yeah. so people a lot of uh, bigger hip hop and pop acts will just put out singles here and there and we want to experiment with that so we'll see what happens for the, the rest of the year this year because as a fan, Benjamin Soundclash did exactly the same thing. They did a song, uh, Clocks, I think it was called. And I was like, yeah. Check them. I love that band, by the way. Fucking, That's awesome. Oh, my God. And yeah. uh, have you seen them live? Uh, yeah, we have. We saw them yeah. at Reading and Leeds, actually, at the Lockdown stage. That, yeah, that's, that's, where I, that's yeah, the first yeah. time I saw them. And they oh, yeah, that's the only time I saw them. Down to the, yeah, the dude, as well, he had uh, the girl hold the snare drum, and they like, backed up into the crowd, and he's, while he's playing. It was fucking awesome. Yeah, so that's the first time I ever saw them. And then since then, I've been like... Festivals are great, but I always want to like watch a band at their own show. Yeah. And since then, I've been like, they they they, they kind of went quiet after that. And they haven't been to the UK. Mm-hmm. So when I saw like Clockwork, I was like, dude, the, okay, that's it. Album's coming. They're coming <laughs> over. And then it's been nothing since. So uh, yeah. Well, for us, it was awesome. We wrote the song, went into the studio, recorded it. Uh, it was all really quick. And then uh, we put it out, and it was a way for we're, I mean, we could play a new song at our set every night. It's a new and exciting thing. It got us uh, a lot of new people found us because it goes onto the different release radars of the streaming services and yeah. stuff like that. So it's like a new 
a new way to release music, and I, you know, I've really, uh, really enjoyed that. So this time next year, what can we expect? Anything? Nothing? I think you can expect news, for sure. Some, <laughs> just, some just good news. Your news, or just yeah, so, news? Well, uh, hopefully, yeah, when you turn your TV on, there'll be some news. Uh, <laughs> You can learn about whatever fucking pound. Being optimistic uh, that it no, might be in next year. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we, we we have some cool news that we'll be coming out with soon. And next year we'll definitely be uh, touring and we'll definitely be over here in our favorite places to go to. Cool, man. Well, thanks for your time, Tom. And uh, Hey, thanks for having me. It's uh, great. Pleasure, man. And I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, the rest of your time in Blackpool, sorry. I know you got a show in uh, Coco, is that right? Or in uh, the Forum? Tomorrow's a yeah, Forum. Bad Cop, Bad Cop. Lagwagon yeah Lagwagon Lawrence Arms Flatlines were meant to play weren't they Flatlines were meant to play and they unfortunately were unable to play but that just means we'll have to do it again yeah Yeah. definitely alright man well thank you again yeah thanks dude appreciate it I don't know why I'm doing it in that voice. It just You can catch Tom doing his solo work at this year's Manchester Punk Festival in the UK. If you've never been to MPF, you're 100% should. It's a cracking few days where they spread it across the city in several venues in Manchester. It's taking place from the 19th till the 21st of April. It's Easter weekend, so you don't need any time off work. On the bill is, of course, Tom, as well as King Prawn, Snuff, Creepshow, Coming Soon Guests, Subhumans, and Authority Zero, just to name a few. There will also be a comedy and poetry tent, if that's your jam, as well as pop-up record stores. It's going to be a blast. Punks and Pubs will be there in some capacity. Go support a DIY festival and pick up your tickets at manchesterpunkfestival.co.uk. Right, that's it for this week. I'm flying solo for the next couple of months because Stephen Burke is having a baby anytime soon. So good luck with that one, mate. Thank you to the listeners for remembering me and the podcast. Don't forget to tell your mates and spread the love. Summer is coming, so go pick up your Punks and Pubs t-shirt and represent. uh, And also go and rate and review. Playing out the show this week is a band from the City of Love, also known as your mum's house, mainly known as Paris. The band are called Cheap Teen, and this track is called Mainstream Music. As always, if you're going to a punk show and you see someone fall down, you pick them right back up. Till next time... Bye-bye. Oscar Wilde said, everything popular is wrong. So is this fair? Harsh? Is this the reason such talented musicians struggle to appeal to the majority? Should musicians dumb down their music in order to go mainstream?
Fucking sick, Mr. Music Fucking sick, Mr. Music 